Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even with respect to a prenuptial agreement, I always joke that I didn't have one because I had nothing to put in it except student loans. And I want to try to make my husband responsible for my loans, even though that's not the law. But the truth is, I just wasn't educated enough to know the importance of a prenuptial agreement. I got married at 26. Um, Prenuptial agreements require spouses to sit down and have hard conversations before they get married. And that's really important too. So it's the same thing with having a child. Like, Thank you so much for listening to Divorce Party. We really appreciate it. If you like this podcast, we'd love it if you could leave us five stars on Spotify podcasts or Apple podcasts. And if you want to see our lovely faces, we do have a YouTube channel where you can watch the episodes and be sure to like and subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Divorce Party Podcast. Our guest today is Lindsay Heller. She is a partner at Fox Rothschild, and she is in the family law department practicing in New Jersey and New York. It's technically Valentine's Day here for this episode, so we are going to ask her all the love questions Please welcome to the show. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, how are you? Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Me too. I'm loving your outfit on this. Oh, Valentine's. thank you. I went Valentine's. <laughs> little Valentine's Elwoods. Like, what can I say? I'm a ba- I'm pretty basic. <laughs> no, not at all. I love it. Thank you. I think it's so funny that we're talking on Valentine's Day. You know, I love it. <laughs> Tom will be in here any minute. Okay, and you're married, never divorced. I am married, not divorced. We've been together since we're 18, which is crazy. Um, we just had our second baby. I definitely like I'm in a place where personally I can see more realistically how a typical relationship can just become strains with the stressors of life. If you're not also working on your relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never divorced yet. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that my husband's yeah. no, no, no. Um, but yeah. you never know. Hi, Tom. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Very nice to meet you too. Thank you for thank doing you for having. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Well, it's uh, our honor. We're thrilled. 
Yes. She was, Lindsay was just telling me she just had her second baby. I did. He's seven and a half months old. So I can't say just, but when I look at the scale, I tell myself just, you know? Oh, that's congratulations. It's the best thing. It's yeah, the best thing. it so is. You have seven and a half month old and how old? Three. Oh, that's a handful. A lot of people don't miss the baby thing. I miss the baby thing because, you know, they're right here. And they go right here, you feed them, they get them. Yeah. My baby is my son. My three-year-old is my daughter. And my son is just so sweet. But even he's like already becoming too independent for me at seven and a half months old, you know? My daughter, forget it. I mean, you should have seen her before school today on Valentine's Day. And she's just, all, she's already her own person. She'll, she'll never need me. That's how I feel, you know? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's very sweet. My 10-year-old is a boy. My eight-year-old is a girl. And va Valentine's Day, you know, it's very, uh, there's a lot going on. So I got cards for each. And my daughter took the time, the eight-year-old, the second grader, and she wrote the names on the things, and she really took the time, and I did that, did a box, and made a box. And then my son, till late yesterday, is like, I'm not going to do it. And then I said, here's the cards, sign your name on it. Just sign your name, all right, happy V-Day, whatever. But uh, but we ended up getting it. Uh, uh, we, got ra we rallied last night, got everything done, and, and got them to school. Yeah, my daughter had a whole outfit planned today. I mean, it was, I think, yeah, girls and boys are so different. She Crazy, yeah. The cards she had to choose, like what cards the girls got and what cards the boys got. Right. She's very involved in the process. Do you feel like more people are going to call your office tomorrow after Valentine's Day or is it more after the holidays? So it depends on what you mean by call. After the holidays, the winter holidays, our calls come flooding in for a new divorce to start because people are trying to hold it together for the holidays. Maybe they're making a new year's resolution. So we have the January divorce. And in fact, a partner of mine does a blog post about it every year, like the new year's resolution divorce. After Valentine's Day and currently on Valentine's Day, I'm getting flooded with emails about some what someone's current or former spouse is or is not doing. Um, I just think that Valentine's Day brings about a lot of emotions, some of them happy and some of them really not so happy and especially in my work, um, really not happy. But I actually did get two calls today for prenuptial agreements, which is interesting timing too. So. Wow. Yeah, so the calls after Valentine's Day are more complaints and what do we do about behavior? The calls after the holidays are, I'm ready to get started. Right, right. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. You know, I've had, uh, my last seven Valentines have been perfect. Uh, with me, my daughter, <laughs> my son, and no stress. And, you know, it's important to be with someone who loves you on Valentine's. That's what I've decided. And yeah. I, I, I can remember having some, awkward valentines and having things build up and i remember once i had therapy i my second or third wife and uh she she said well we really need to go see the therapist today and i said well it's valentine's she goes, no it's important and she just wanted to tell me that she wanted a, a divorce which is, oh how lovely <laughs> valentine's god can't make it up but you know it's a lot of pressure on people and, and uh it, it's uh it's good to have somebody like you lindsay uh, now, where, where are you? Are you in New York or are you here? I'm in New Jersey, so a little bit of both, a little New York, a little LA, and, and none of them. Um, but I practice in New York a tiny bit, um, but more so in New Jersey. I work for a national law firm. We have offices in almost every state. 
And my main office is New Jersey. That's where my primary practice is. But I'm also the partner who heads whatever family law we have going on in New York. Um, I'm the partner who spearheads most of it. Right. Well, I'm going to ask you a question off the top, uh, a personal question, from, I mean, personal for me. Now, uh, and you may have seen these situations where one parent will constantly file uh, to change the custody thing, to file complaints and, and contempt charges against the other and, and call the police and did whatever and yeah. involve, you know, the authorities. Uh, but what the other partner doesn't. The other partner just goes in, responds to each thing. Uh, the police don't arrest him. They arrest her or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and it goes on and on. Seven years seems like a long time. Quite expensive. But uh, I think that this time, I got served a couple weeks ago because I took the kids to their grandmother's funeral Hi. during my custody time. And how dare you? Yeah, how dare me. But I think that this time, I, I, uh, this idea of legal abuse, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about coming in uh, uh, hotter and, and uh, uh, coming in with a list of, you know, the, the past uh, activities as well as videos of the past activities. 100%. And, uh, and you know, and, and, so that would be different than me just responding to. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would include in my response a request for sanctions against her for filing frivolous applications. I'd request, I'm, I have to be honest, I'm not sure about the California law on legal fees, but in New Jersey, I would request a fee shift and absolutely demand that she be required to pay 100% of your fees, whether she can afford it or not, just simply based on her bad faith. Um, and I would request future sanctions in the event that she files another application that's deemed to be frivolous. And if in California, it's the same as New Jersey, where you submit a certification or an affidavit of yourself as to the facts relevant to the motion or the application, I would just start out with a huge preliminary statement. Judge, let me give you a timeline. Because what happens in our state is Judges move around all the time. You're not guaranteed to have the same judge once you're post-divorce, what we call post-judgment. So you might be going into a court that has no idea who you are other than for your accolades in movies and doesn't know anything about your case. And you really want to give them a flavor of what's happening. You would also want to point out in there, and I'm going to make an assumption that can be wrong, that perhaps your ex-wife has had many different attorneys because often a client like that their attorneys give them advice they don't want to hear, so they fire the attorney, or they stop paying their attorney, or for whatever reason, the, what you're describing often comes with a lot of attorneys. I would do a whole separate paragraph listing all the attorneys, and to the extent any of them are reputable, you're also showing the judge, like, look at, she had good attorneys working for her. None of it worked out. Look where we are now. She's the problem. Yeah, that's important. And, and can you attach a video? I think she did have a video at her filing of me and Monica talking on it on a radio show about something that literally had happened that's on tape where she tried to lure me out of the house. The kids were there and have a guy in the bushes serve me. And, and we felt, you know, because I have to have so many cameras. It's right. all on tape. And then when I figured out what it was that he was to serve me, it was a 145 counts of uh, contempt of court for he was five minutes late for FaceTime. He, and, and then I have the court transcripts, which are awesome. Because that judge is like, whoa, let me just get, it's five days in jail for each 145. And, he's right. up, and, and he says to her, so you think this is a fair punishment, uh, two two years in, in prison for what, five minutes late on FaceTime? And she's like, yeah, I do. 
I do think that's right. They said, do you think it's fair to your children that their father would go to prison for two years for FaceTime? And she goes, well, it would teach them. And then he turns on her lawyer and goes, buddy, do you think it's a good use of this court's time? Yeah, you should attach all of that. I mean, before any, it's funny that you say you have, not funny, but it's realistic that you have all these cameras around because I say to my clients, it's like you're on CCTV, if that's the correct term. Like everything that you do and say can be used against you. Text messages, videos. In New Jersey, we're a one-party consent state. So our clients can actually, which means that only one party to a conversation has to know a recording is happening. I oh, think wow. California is a two-party consent state, so. but our clients can record any interaction without telling their spouse or former spouse. In your case, Tom, your cameras were visible to your ex-wife. She was under reasonable notice that she was being recorded. Absolutely, you should use those recordings um, and any transcripts and anything else that can help you portray to the court. And should you have to file an appeal and you're tied to the record at the lower court, you now have a complete record. Will a judge actually look at all of that? Because I know it's important to kind of paint the whole story, but do they have time? So you want to do it in like a concise and very readable fashion where you drag them in almost like you're reading a salacious newspaper. Like a clickbait or something. You want to keep their interest, but they should look at it. It's their responsibility to look at it. And you want to make sure you highlight the high points and you leave out the boring, not the boring, but the lower points that maybe aren't as necessary, even if they feel important to you. Listen to your lawyer when he or she says to you, you know what, let's leave this out. Um, it's their obligation to read, but obviously we know not all judges. Many of them do not have time to read everything. So keep in the most important stuff, but you want to protect yourself on appeal. So you want to have a good record. I love that you were just saying that you just, you know, had your second child. I know a lot of women right now that are thinking about that second child mm -hmm. or just had it and things in the relationship are kind of unsteady. And I just feel like I'm getting this sense. I'm wondering if you see a trend or even with your friends um, about how I feel like the second kid could either make or break the marriage. Or I sometimes think the first kid, like if you don't want to have that second kid, there's a reason why you're resisting. You know, do you have any thoughts yeah. on all that? I do. I mean, it's like any major change in life, except that when you have a child, you have expectations of your partner and he or she may not know what your expectations are. So when they're not meeting them, it's very easy to become frustrated. Not speaking from someone who just experienced this personally. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm one of five. My husband's one of four. So we're from huge families. My family is a blended family. My parents were each married before each other. That's why I have all my siblings. But that aside, even with that, bringing a second child into our own home adds a layer of stress. It, you have less time to dedicate to your partner. You have less time to dedicate to your first child. Those are emotions that you're dealing with. And I do see, you know, if you really don't have a strong foundation in your relationship, any stressor that you can bring into your relationship can kind of crack the mold. Um, so I can't say I've had like a huge number of cases where they come to me and they say, because we had a second kid, we're getting a divorce, but definitely where you can see that things in their relationship started to turn, maybe tied to around the time a child was born. It does not ever mean that a child is the reason for a divorce. No. Not, the child, him or herself is not. And it's important for all kids to know that, yeah. but you know, parents who maybe couldn't withstand having that relationship with each other. And it depends on why you had a second child. So my parents each had, my mom had two children. My dad had one child. They married each other. They had me and my little sister. 
they wanted to have me to blend my families. It is what it is, right? I've gone, I figured that out. Yeah. They had my little sister because my mom really wanted another baby. And my dad was like, here's a list of everything I'm not going to do. Literally wrote her a list. Like, I don't uh. bathe babies anymore. I don't change diapers. Now, when my sister was born, Melanie, sorry. When she was born, he did all those things because he loved her so much. And like, Aww. that's not who he is as a person. But the idea of just having the other kid can be so impactful yeah. to someone. So it's important to have the conversations. I mean, to shift gears a little bit, even with respect to a prenuptial agreement, I always joke that I didn't have one because I had nothing to put in it except student loans. And I want to try to make my husband responsible for my loans, even though that's not the law. But the truth is, I just wasn't educated enough to know the importance of a prenuptial agreement. I got married at 26. Um, prenuptial agreements require spouses to sit down and have hard conversations before they get married. And that's really important too. So it's the same thing with having a child. Like when I had my children, I went through a crazy fertility journey. This was very planned. It was very intentional. And even with that, there were stressors that arose from it. So not everyone has that luxury, right? Sometimes things happen by accident or whatever the case may be. But to the extent that you have the time to have conversations with your spouse about how to handle having children or how to handle money, um, those are important conversations to have. Do you have prenups that also include like, you know, fertilized embryos? And we do. Yeah, I actually have an article about that. Um, it's highly recommended if you expect that there could be a possibility that you're going to be fertilizing embryos. The um, facilities that you use for fertility treatments have their own contract um, about what to do with fertilized embryos in the event of a separation or death of a party, but you should still build it into your prenuptial agreement too whatever. We were not even together. Like there was an embryo from four years ago that I didn't had forgotten about. And we were in this first settlement concert with, with, with the, the mediator. And all of a sudden the door opened and it walks a woman that's a, a, a notary. And, and I could tell that she had asked this notary to come up, put in front of me to uh, sign and give my thumbprint so they could destroy the rest of the embryos. <laughs> I'm the one that should have been like, okay, where are those things? Let's, right. let's have... <laughs> but of course, in reality, if you had initiated, she would have probably resisted it. So it's oh, exactly. in your yeah. favor, right? I mean, do you see that a lot when you're going? All the time. Like somebody wants certain relief because they want it. And if I say like, sure, that sounds great on behalf of my kind like, well, maybe we should change this or that. And it's their own proposal. I mean, when I'm sitting in a settlement session, whether it's mediation or another form and my client starts to back off of a prior proposal, I'm like, pump the brakes, buddy. We already said, we're willing to do this. You are going to look so bad if suddenly you're not willing to do it unless there's good reason, right? Unless over the passage of time, things have changed and something presented itself that makes that perhaps reasonable, but otherwise, yeah, no, I see that a lot. What trends are you seeing? Are you seeing more conscious uncoupling or are you seeing more knockdown drag outs? So it really depends on the person and their personality and perhaps personality disorders. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, I work at a full service, big litigation firm, um, nationwide firm expensive. People come to our firm ordinarily because they're looking to have that litigation backing. And we do a lot of trials. So 
we'll have clients who come to us on the cusp of trial saying the attorney who I've been working with this whole time really isn't prepared to do a trial. Can I switch from them to you just for my trial? Um, because not everyone tries divorce cases, so many of them resolve. So from that aspect, it's a little bit of a loaded question because I do see a lot of contentious cases, but I'm intelligent enough to know that that may just be because of the practice that I'm in. My um, recently, a lot of cases that have come to me are people who tell me that they want to settle. People often see that. And I always tell them, I am a settlement oriented attorney. I always try to settle first. It's ordinarily best for everyone. But there comes a point in a case where it's just easier to try it because all we can do is predict our side of the case. It depends who's on the other side. So if the litigant on the other side is as difficult as what Tom's been describing, there may be no headway to settlement. And sometimes you settle on the verge of going to trial because everybody's ready to wave their hands or you settle. You're not going to sell out your children. But if you're hung up on the finances everybody can put their heads together and say, this is a business decision. I'm going to pay for this person to get out of my life, which is sometimes what you have to do, pay a little bit. Um, so my case is most often settled just like everyone else's, but I, they don't always start with people in that mind frame. But I personally, in my own practice, you know, because I work on my own cases and other people's cases in my department, in my personal cases, to the extent possible, I always try to start to settle first. And I feel that litigants look for attorneys either who are similar to them in personality or they feel can protect them. Like if they feel maybe weak when they're against their spouse. Um, and so clients who come to me are often clients who want to try to go that route first. And to the extent we can, it's great. It just, you know, sometimes we have a stop on the other side and that's out of our control. I, I like what you said about the prenuptial conversation. I never uh, had a prenuptial agreement. I think I was afraid of uh, of that conversation. Now the way, way you describe it, you know, it's a hard conversation. You're going to be married to someone. You're probably going to have other hard conversations. That made a lot of sense. There are people, but who literally cannot say yes. Yeah. And so whatever that is, you know, I've, I've never been able to quite figure it out. But I think that that is something that hopefully will be obvious. This the twelfth time. This it, time it will be. I think some people are addicted to the drama. To be honest with you, and like when something goes away, and and now all of a sudden they're not flooded with emails from their attorney, and like getting hyped up all day. They're like, wait a second, I'm bored, and not consciously saying that, but I think that some people are just addicted to the back and forth. I see that a lot, and and it's a problem. But I also think, I always tell my clients who get very frustrated when they're like, why doesn't the judge see that he or she is the bad actor here? And I always say it's so frustrating, but it takes time. They generally figure it out. It just takes time. Sometimes they figure it out at a trial or like at a motion hearing or whatever the case may be. Um, but, but it takes time and, and you portraying it to them will certainly be helpful. But yeah, like that addiction to the back and forth. And then all of a sudden, life is quiet, which for a lot of us, that would be great. I mean, I, I don't know how half my clients who have demanding jobs also go through a divorce. I mean, it's yes. so consuming. So for someone like that, you would think that when it's over, they, they, that person would be extremely relieved and just go about their life. But then there are people that just can't, they just can't, they just can't. I mean, I was very lucky. I wasn't working when I was going through mine. And it was just the fight or flight all the time. 
And yeah, I don't know how people, I mean, that's something I really have grown to have empathy for is people who do have like a crazy full-time job and they're going through it because I don't know how you sort of go on and fake it at work and like have meetings. So hard. And, and yeah, I feel all... the same exact way. I mean, the littlest things, like even yesterday here in Jersey, there was a big snowstorm. Most of the schools closed. That can result in people fight. You know, I can't get my kid out of the house for parenting time today. That's very rational, right? You can't pull your car out. Schools are closed. A state of emergency. But you have somebody on the other side being like, well, what do you mean you can't? Today's my day. So if I'm not getting them at this second, then I'm going to have an extra three hours the following day. And right. I didn't have that yesterday, but I had that a couple of years ago, this like exact fight or when COVID hit, you know, and people were scared about that. Um, so the littlest thing can spark a whole new set of litigation or discussions between attorneys, whatever you want to call it. Were you very much a lawyer as a child? Were you sort of like, I always wonder how people get into the, especially the type of law they practice. What led you to- Now you're delving into my own therapy, which I already hinted at that I was born to blend my family. So I take on this like role of blending, connecting, um, trying to make things go right. So I like to do that for my clients, right? I really like to get them to a good place to start their new life. It's why I went into family law versus some sort of corporate law. Why did I become a lawyer is a little bit more of an embarrassing story, which is I was a journalism major in college. Um, I really wanted to be a journalist. I graduated college. I don't want people to guess my age now, but I graduated college when the economy fell apart. My um, professors, I went to Rutgers University, shout out Rutgers, love Rutgers. My professors were editors at like the local New Jersey paper. So the Star Ledger, the Bergen Record, they were coming into court every day. We're up to court. This is my life now. Coming into <laughs> class every day, looking freaked out like they were going to lose their job. So I said, okay, this is not happening. Um, I really liked Legally Blonde. My best friend and I looked at each other who was a PR major still my best friend. And we said, should we take the LSAT? And we did. And we both went what? to school. She escaped law. My husband, my, I was with my husband in college. He said to me, as this was happening with the economy, he was a PR major. He's in PR now. And he said to me, I guess one of us should be a lawyer. I can't do it. Similar to what you were saying, Tom, about your son. Like I always did all of his homework. He's like, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I trapped him by doing his homework. So I said, okay. Um, and I went to law school. And when I was in law school, I really fell in love with family law. It's all I've ever done. So I like honed in on it in law school, but you know, school is school life. Real life is where you learn. Um, but honed in on it. I clerked for the Honorable Thomas J. Walsh in Union County, my first most major mentor in my career. It's in New Jersey, it's a one-year position when you get out of law school. He runs the matrimonial part at the court in the county where I live, um, where I now live. I didn't at the time. And then I went into a family law firm. So that's it. That's me in a nutshell. I love a movie connection. I mean, that, I, I wish it was like cooler than that. You know what's great about wanting to be a journalist or writer is uh, after you do this job you're doing for X amount of years and you sort of get a bug, you know, there's still other things you could do because obviously you, if you want to be a journalist, you're a writer. Yeah. So you, that seems like that, uh, it, you know, because you always have to have one or two careers. We had a judge out here that has a, what does she have, a judge show? She does. Or, yeah. Judge it, Lauren Lake. Yeah. Yeah. She was a law attorney. Yeah. 
I can see you doing something, uh, that kind of stuff, you know? Well, and I also I think, think a- for journalists too, it's that want to tell the truth or show a certain side. And so yeah, that's it's very similar. Like the writing mechanisms are very similar in terms of like portraying it, portraying the story in a way that grabs the reader and says what you are trying to say versus like blanket statements and you know, a lot of times I'll get submissions from the adverse party attorney that's just like, your client's bad, you know? Okay, your client's bad. Okay, like, you know, it's really just getting into the detail, knowing what's important to include, a lot of crossover. So writing is obviously at the forefront of our job. I'm definitely not a mathematician, which is another forefront of our job, but we have a lot of computer programs and electronic devices to help me with my math. I mean, even in Hollywood, there's a lot of ex-lawyers that have become writers or tech advisors on shows. My daughter, who's eight, said, Daddy, how old will I be when, how old will you be when I'm in college? And I went, uh, I'll be 75. And she goes, I'm not going to college. And I, did. <laughs> I said, honestly, here's the thing. You don't have to go. And, and I think with the young people now, because they do different things, and I don't think it'll be as necessary. I agree 100%. I tell my daughter that she will be um, a plumber, an electrician, or a landscaper. They do very well. I, you know, I look at people's finances all day or some form of an Instagram model. <laughs> like that's how people are going to make money by the time she grows up. Um, and I agree. I mean, for me, I felt really strongly about getting into a career that I could always work no matter what happens. So, you know, like I could hang a shingle if this shit hits the fan, which knock on wood, it doesn't. Um, And that's because of experiences that I went through where I didn't want to do something different. My husband has a similar view of the world, but the view of the world has changed so much as time's gone on. So I think by the time our kids are looking into what their futures are, it's going to look a lot different. Can you give us any sort of, for our listeners, any sort of strategy or just some like nugget of, you know, if you're ready to get a divorce, like, does it matter who files first, things like that? Yeah. So people ask me that all the time. Does it matter who files first? No. Whoever files first will be called the plaintiff. The other person will be called the defendant. I think it's more common that women file first. And so when the genders are reversed, in for plaintiff and defendant, I think people get confused when they're writing out plaintiff and defendant because they expect it to be the woman. The reason I think that is like my unlicensed psychology degree tells me that when women make a decision, they just they've made their decision. Like if they're done, they're done. Yeah, um, they've been done for a while. They've been done for a while, and the men can. No offense to anybody on, but the men can kind of maybe wait it out or like maybe they're doing something that they're getting away with and they think their wife's just going to let them keep getting away with it, whatever the case may be. But in terms of how the case turns out, it really doesn't matter who files first. The only time it may matter is if one of the parties needs emergent relief from the court, you may file your complaint together with an application for that emergent relief. But emergent relief. Oh, I'm sorry. Emergent relief is like if there's an, if you need the court to make a decision right away. So you have a partner who has a substance abuse issue, got a DUI, and you want to make sure that they're not going to be driving with your children. You want to get that restraint in place right away. If that, if what happened calls for it, you would have to, if you don't have a case opened yet, you'd have to file your action and immediately file for that relief. But Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A trend that I'm seeing more and more and that I think makes sense is not even filing and having your attorney just send a letter to your partner if they don't have an attorney telling them to get one, if you're comfortable enough having that conversation with them first and saying, let's try to resolve our case without the court. Because the truth is, as we've discussed earlier, courts don't have time. They're flooded with stuff, some nonsense and some real stuff. So at least in New Jersey, our courts are significantly delayed. We have many counties in New Jersey that have a moratorium, a stop on all divorce trials. So we have cases that have been sitting for six years, seven years. We have trials that started a couple of years ago that haven't picked up again. So depending on what it is that you need from the court, you may or may not actually be able to get it and you may do better by going the other route. And you may, you know, they say you get more bees with honey is the expression. You may do better in a settlement oriented fashion by starting without filing and just with this notice, let's exchange the information that we really need. We don't need to hit each other with a hundred pages of discovery demands when like 20 of the things that we're requesting in there are actually relevant to your case and the rest of it is just form. So I like that approach much better, just getting two attorneys on the line and saying, how can we get through this case? It's not collaborative divorce, but we agree, you know, we need a mediator, let's pick the mediator. You can do everything that you can do under the court schedule without the court, except get an order for relief. So if there's no urgency happening where you need that court order, you may be able to just take your case without ever filing in court. But I should say that if you go that route, even if you choose mediation, you should still have an attorney there for you. Um, You may think things are really nice and that's great, but a mediator is not there to give you legal advice. They don't represent either party's interests. They're there to help you broker a deal and they use their knowledge and their expertise to help you do so. I'm a trans mediator, but If I have a mediation, I can't say to a party, you know, you're going to do a lot better in court, or you should really ask for this instead, or this is what the law says. They're not there for legal advice. You should have someone who's in your corner there with you to help you understand whether this proposal makes sense, or if the documents being demanded of you make sense. And if you're trying to save money, or you don't want to have a showboat where you show up with a team, you can have someone on a consulting retainer. I do that all the time where I'm retained for a lesser amount of money. I'm available as a consultant. So the client goes to mediation alone. I'll never send a letter on their behalf. I can't ghostwrite their documents, but I can have a phone call with them before and after every mediation session. I can review proposed documents and give them my advice and revise it. I can help them navigate the process, whether it's court or outside of court. 
um, as on a consulting level without standing in their shoes for lack of a better phrase um, and doing it for them. Do you recommend that if you're a consulting attorney for someone, do you recommend that they like voice record their Zoom or in-person mediation sessions for you to listen to help consult and give advice or just take notes? I would say take notes. I wouldn't record unless you have permission of the mediator to record and they'd probably say no. Mediation is a confidential process. The point of that is for everyone to be comfortable speaking freely. I still recommend being in separate rooms from your spouse and their attorney, but you want to be able to say to the mediator, hey, I'm willing to go to this, or I really effing hate this person because this happened and I just need to get this off my chest. It's also confidential to help you speak freely because you know going into it, neither, if you end up in court, neither party can tell the judge he or she did not agree to what was recommended in mediation and this was what was recommended. They're stupid. They're not acting right, right? So it's confidential from the court and it's confidential from the other party unless you authorize the mediator to tell them what you said or what you proposed. So for that reason, um, I wouldn't record and um, certainly with any professional, like I get questions all the time if a client should record their therapy session, if they're in couples therapy, because in New Jersey, technically you can, so one party can send speak. But I always say, if you're willing to have that professional fire you when they find out that you recorded them, then sure, record it. But no professional wants to be recorded. Uh, you know, if a client says to me, can I record our conversation? I'll be like, why? So you can use it against me later? Like, no, thanks. Um, yeah. You know, even though they probably all are. And at this state of the world, we should all go through life assuming that we're being assuming, recorded. Yeah. Um, yeah. But take good notes um, okay. and speak to your attorney before you go in so that you go in with a game plan and they already kind of know where you're going. The first PPC, retired judge that we use. This guy, we do a six hour seminar with him first. Mm -hmm. Six hours. It was during COVID, so it was on uh, electronically. And he'd go back and forth. Room one was she was in, yeah. room two, I was in, back and forth. He, like, uh, you know, he was like comforting her uh, and saying, yeah, that sounds bad, whatever. Uh, when he ruled in my favor, I, I, I realized he's got to play to keep her in this. And I've seen other judges do it where they're like, okay, when we come back, I'm going to trash you, Tom. Yeah. But that she's going to sign this. Absolutely. Like part of a mediator's job is to gain trust from each party. And it's also to, you know, sometimes we call it a coming to Jesus moment. If you do have an attorney, Tom, that's not saying the hard things, like you can't, you shouldn't backtrack. Sometimes you need a mediator there to say to the other party, look, like what you're doing is wrong, which often if it's someone needs to be strong armed, but part of their job is to gain the trust of each litigant. And if they gain that trust, then when they tell them the hard stuff also, they'll listen more. So absolutely the mediator was doing the right thing, you know, and I always have clients who complain because we do a lot of virtual mediation still, and they'll say he or she was, the mediator was in the other person's room for so much longer than they were with me. That's not nice. And, you know, we say like, that part is probably more difficult than you are, you know, if you're talking to someone and you're like, okay, that sounds good. Or look, I'm willing to go here. I don't want to go back and forth a million times. That's a short conversation. If they're in the other room for a really long amount of time, people get really offended by that, but they shouldn't. It's the, it's the mediator doing their job, getting through to the other person that may be more difficult to get through to. Do mediators uh, decide how much to charge someone by of sort of value of what they think they're looking like how I hope, do not. Um, I hope not it's unethical in family law to have contingency fees 
Um, we all have hourly rates. So okay. mediators in New Jersey have hourly rates, just like I do. I am a mediator. So I may charge a lower, I actually generally charge a lower hourly rate for mediation as compared to litigation. Uh -huh. um, and it's just more of a streamlined process. And if you want to talk the business side of it, you're more likely to get paid a hundred percent because the mediator can just say like, I'm not going to meet, I'm not going to give you your next session unless you pay me. Whereas there are court rules, at least in New Jersey, that prevent you from getting out of a case at a certain point. So, you know, I took a case all the way through a very terrible, upsetting custody trial and was owed so much money throughout the entire trial because there was no way out. I mean, also altruistically, I wanted to see it to the end, but it's a business like anything else. And, you know, sometimes there's no way out. So long and the short of it is they charge an hourly rate just like anyone else, but it is normal for a mediator to have a different hourly rate for mediation versus litigation, although I would expect it to be lower. My first attorney was very well known uh, attorney out here and great, very respected. After she'd represented me for a year, I think she came in thinking, uh, and my litigator out here, a guy named Marty Singer, who's, who brags he's been to all four of my weddings, <laughs> uh, but he's amazing, very well respected. But he does, but he's what it called her and said, this is, this stuff, Tom's trying to do it without a lawyer. This is, she's like, bring you into his house and do this. And, and uh, Laura Wasser is her name. Oh, yeah. And she goes, I'll handle this. Handle this. Okay. And then I think her and her firm after six months or nine months are like, oh my gosh, this is, this other person is never going to agree to anything. And then they asked, they said, well, we want to leave the case because all you're going to do is spend money. You got to get somebody cheaper. Oh, you got Then they asked the judge if they. I go well. I kind of like to see you guys still. <laughs> they asked the judge if it was okay. They laughed and and he goes, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Have you ever had to kind of let go of a client or? We have. I mean, it's it's a hard part of the job because you feel bad for the person, and it depends on the circumstance. Sometimes you have clients who say, "I get it, I understand," and they'll sign what's called a substitution of attorney. And they'll substitute for themselves to be self-represented or they'll find a different attorney, whether it's a less expensive or whatever the issues were. Um, sometimes it's not so easy. You know, you could also leave a case because of a breakdown in relationship between the attorney and client and they won't sign the substitution of attorney. And when they won't, you're forced to file. The only way out is to file a motion with the court asking to be relieved. You have to be very careful about what you put in the motion because you can't break privilege. Um, you can say like, you know, because the other side has to be served with it. So you can say, I'll show you these emails in camera, meaning like just to the judge in your chambers. I'll show yeah. you these emails if you need more proof. But yeah, of course, we've been there and it's it's hard. And, you know, um, when you're on the other side, the more and more that it happens, the other attorney can say to a court, look, obviously this person is difficult and you don't as the attorney want to give the other side that power, but if a client puts you, you know, we tell the client, if you don't sign the substitution of attorney, this is what we have to do. And, and yeah. sometimes we just have no choice. And we can get a lien on the on the equitable distribution. I think also in your position, uh, you are not, you assume not the best, but you can't assume the worst. And I think when you get into a situation like mine, they're like, well, it's a, he said, she said, or whatever it is, or and they and the my attorney was assuring me, oh, we'll get this done. She's not going to do that. She's not going to refuse. <laughs> and then it just keeps happening. And then it's one of those very odd cases. We talked to a lot of people out here. People have gone through it, and people say and do shitty stuff to each other during divorce. You know, the back and forth, the nasty. 
stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm a little disappointed myself that I have been this patient, that I haven't gone uh, on the offense all these years. I've been kind of, you know, just covering and winning in court, but, but you know, paying all this money and then, and then knowing she's going to do it again in six months. No, we're going to be back. Something she's going to. And when she's quiet, my assistant, she goes, she's been quiet. Something's going to happen. Something's I, go, no, maybe, I think sometimes there are unusual cases. But I think uh, I think when, when one person has is a has a pathological situation, uh, it, it hopefully it becomes clear when you have that body of work. And I think the timeline is going to be. I mean, I've been appointed as a guardian ad litem. I don't know the equivalent in California. We do have a California office. I probably should have asked them some of these questions yeah. before I was done. But um, I've been appointed as a guardian ad litem in uh, hotly contested custody cases, very acrimonious custody cases in New Jersey, which is someone who's an arm of the court to do an investigation, to meet with the children, to meet with any collateral source that would be necessary. So teachers, therapists, whoever you think and report back to the court what's really going on um, when it's so acrimonious that the court can't see who's saying what to actually be true and the court doesn't want to actually bring the child and they get someone like us involved. And um, I was actually involved in one case where custody was taken from one spouse to the other because the mother in that case, I was going to say, Tom, I wouldn't gender stereotype and jerks. There, there are jerks of all kinds. But the mother in that case um, was so alienating to the father, terrible. And it was actually accidentally caught on video. She had some sort of ring camera and the kids, she was berating the children in a very scary, disgusting way because they were going to a family event of the dads. Mm -hmm. And somehow I think the dad I think he worked for the FBI. So the house was like all wired up and he had access to it. And um, it was a couple of years ago now. So I'm trying to remember, but anyway, the dad had access to the video and that coupled with, we had to have somebody hired to be present for parenting time exchanges, a retired police officer to be present at the exchanges to report back to the guardian ad litem in the court, how the exchanges go. And between that video and what used to happen at the exchanges, the court took custody from the mom and the kids went kicking and screaming. Um, it was not an easy decision and it wasn't an easy case to be a part of, but they're, they're better now, you know, they're doing better now, but sometimes it's so bad that they need to be taken into a different environment. But the most important thing in all my cases that involve children is the children. And I always say to my client, you know, when it comes to money, I say, we're not a community property state. So I'll say to my client, like, think this is a business decision. The money's a business decision. And you have to think what you're willing to do from a business perspective in terms of your future financial life. Mm -hmm. But the, the kids are at the forefront. What can we do to settle the issues with the children as early in the case as possible? And in the event of harm being presented to them because one parent has a significant disorder that impacts them. Like any, a parent can have a mental illness that doesn't impact the children. They're medicated, they're regulated, doesn't matter, right? They could, anybody can say that about any of us. Yeah. But if a parent has something that really negatively impacts a child, how do we get what we actually need from the court? How do we get the court to hear us versus all the other cases that say, so-and-so is a, nar I mean, narcissist is the biggest, everyone's a narcissist right now. So so-and-so is mm -hmm. a narcissist or so-and-so drinks too much or so-and-so, you know, is the worst husband or wife in the entire world and whatever. How do we really get the court to listen? Because the, the kids are most important. We want to make sure that they're protected. And um, to your point earlier, Tom, about like, when does the court listen? It's the court, family courts 
principle to attempt to have children that have healthy relationships with both parents. That's their goal. And so they're going to do everything that they can to get there until it's not possible. Yeah. Are you seeing kids go, I mean, do they ever still pull kids up uh, to, to a judge and tell a judge who they'd rather live with? Does that happen? Um, not who they'd rather live with. That's way too much pressure on a child to ever have to. And I have clients say to me all the time, tell them to bring my kid in. And I say like, you're actually going to look bad by me saying that. Like, do you want your child to remember for the rest of their lives sitting in a judge's chambers? Um, I haven't seen it very often where a judge has spoken to a child. In New Jersey, it's at their discretion. There's no black letter law on what age is appropriate or not. I would expect it wouldn't happen until they're teenagers, absent egregious circumstances. When it does happen, and I saw it happen as a law clerk a couple times, they're in chambers. The judge, a smart judge, will take off their robe. They'll be more personable, and it's more of a conversation, as comfortable as that could be. They're still in the courthouse. Yeah. But the parents have to have the ability to listen or to get the transcript. And so it's really, a, in my opinion, not a good thing because then it ignites parents being upset over what a child has said and that could raise other litigation. And if the kid goes home to one or the other's houses that day, who knows? Um, and, and it's something that a child always remembers. I mean, my parents were not divorced, but my siblings have divorced parents and my husband um, has divorced parents. And there are things that you don't forget um, so you want to make it as healthy for them as possible. And I know, you know, I've listened to the podcast before, and I know that you both try so hard at doing that and have seen a lot of success. And I applaud you both. And it's really important. Yeah, it's, a, it's a toughie. And, uh, and so I do take a moment with the kids when they've seen something uh, highly inappropriate. I'll say, what, guys, what just happened here was not okay. I don't treat people like that. I don't want you to treat people like that. And then we move on because kids love their parents. They but they love them both. Even the bad one, it seems like in that video, they went kicking and the bad one. But you know what I mean? They still want that other parent. Yeah. What I always say to my clients that get frustrated about that too is kids figure it out, you know, and sometimes they figure it out as adults, and sometimes they figure it out at a different time and when they're younger. But the parent who's constantly shit talking the other parent or their family or dredging up drama, the kid will come to a realization at some point in their life that that was not the right thing to be having done. And it'll sway them toward the other parent. It'll backfire. I mean, sometimes, look, there are cases of alienation of the utmost degree where it's too late. And those cases are really, really sad. And I will never, you know, court's not going to care about custody once a child is 18. In New Jersey, you're emancipated after college. So I won't know about those children later in their life. But for the most part, absent those like totally, you know, egregious circumstances, they'll they'll figure it out. They'll they'll know that how their parent, you know, even in a non-divorced family, there comes that coming of age moment where you realize that parents are just people. Yeah. And people aren't perfect and and they'll they'll realize. So my clients are always like, yeah, said blah, blah, blah. Why can't I say that to them? And I'm like, well, do you want them to end up hating you too? Like they're if they love you, they don't want to hear he or she talk terribly about you. A lot of parents are concerned about the narrative that the other person is yeah. playing. And it's like, hey, you just have to, that's not yours. You just stick to your path. Yeah. And it's so hard. I mean, it's so much easier said than so hard. So it's scary. It's scary when you're a parent that is that the other parents going after and trying to take your kids away and try because it makes you 
uh, uh, part of it is probably maybe a better parent because I don't assume. First of all, I'm 60, almost 65, had some health issues. I don't assume that I can't take things for granted. So each day with kids, I'm like, this could be the last day. But I don't take it right. for granted. The kids realize stuff without me saying, just for what they've seen. So the, there was a lady on last week that talked about eye rolls, even rolling your eyes about your, yeah. I'm always like, how can I be better at this? Yeah. I think they want to see what kind of character you have. Yes. You know what's so enlightening about that is you're probably more consciously a better parent than parents in intact marriages because there are kids raised in houses where a parent is constantly being undermined by the other parent. And then as they grow up, they undermine that parent, right? Like they talk to the parent in the same way that they hear. And because parents haven't gone through the divorce where they have an attorney or somebody else or a friend saying to them, hey, cut the shit. Mm -hmm. It's happening behind closed doors. It just keeps happening. Yeah. So that level of consciousness in terms of how you treat your former spouse is something that all parents should be thinking about whether divorced or not, because kids are so observant. And my three-year-olds forget it. Like she repeats everything that I say, everything. And I think it's cute and hysterical, but if I was saying crazy things, I, it wouldn't be so funny. So, um, you know, kids are way more observant to give them credit for it. Talk about that a lot too. Like, like you were saying how they will, you know, they'll undermine that other parent and same in their relationships. They might be, you know, just mm -hmm. treat their partner that way. And it's just not a good road to go down back to the business side of it. How long is there like an average of how long it takes to get divorced in New Jersey and New York? Yes, I think that's like my second top question. It's hard to say, um, cases strive, courts strive to settle, to finish a case in a year. That's not going to happen if you're going to a trial. It's just not going to happen. We don't get, we don't have jury trials for family law in New Jersey. We do not get consecutive trial dates. You could have, you know, a, a trial that I had was about 50 trial dates over 14 months. And that was the trial itself. And the case started when the baby was born and it ended much later. Um, but a settleable case where there's some issues, maybe there's some acrimony and there's a discovery exchange, but you're really focused on settling your case, I would say you're within that one year. I have clients who come to me and say, me and my husband or wife spoke, we agree X, Y, and Z. We need you to put in an agreement. Maybe it goes back and forth a couple of times. Then you have to go through the court process thereafter to cure the judgment of divorce. Maybe you're looking at a couple months and then anything in between. Is there yeah. anything you wish you could share with married people or people who are like ready to get divorced, you know, anything you can. Yeah, I would absolutely say, I, I don't have marriage advice, I'm not a marriage expert, although I would proclaim myself to be if my husband was in the room, but he's not, and he would be too great. Um, but in terms of divorce advice, if you think that you're ready, or if you even think it's a possibility, go get a consult with an attorney, talk to them for one hour, Ask them, I'm not sure I want to get divorced. What do you suggest I do to protect my children and my assets in the event I do divorce in the future? What are important? I'm the higher earner or I'm the lower earner. What are important things for me to be thinking about? I don't have access to my bank accounts. How do you recommend I go about getting that access um, as I consider my whether I want to divorce? Because for someone going through a divorce, you want to make sure to the extent that you're able, and in a lot of cases, you're already there and you can't, and that's okay too. But if you're not sure and you can 
reroute something where you do have access to your finances if you didn't before. You can verify that paychecks are going where they're supposed to be going. Um, you're staying on top of your kids' schedules if you were maybe a parent who gave all that responsibility to the other parent because history matters in terms of setting a custodial arrangement, who makes all the doctor's appointments, who goes to them, the back to school nights. Um, if you're, some people are in a situation that's abusive and they don't even know. So they may think like, I really want to get divorced. I don't like my husband or wife. And then they go talk to an attorney and they're like, wow, that was enlightening. I didn't know. Maybe I do want to be, if you're in a one party consent state, recording certain things, as long as the kids aren't observing you recording or taking contemporaneous notes so that when I say this back to a court in the future, it's more realistic as having occurred because it's in real time. I would recommend for anyone considering a divorce, just get a consult and find a way, you know, if you, if the consult is requires payment, find a way to pay that the other spouse doesn't see it. Um, a friend, yeah. I, mean, I mean, you have to think about that, right? Like, yeah. And just learn what your rights are. Like one thing that Tom was saying about filing first, because his wife was delaying, you have the option and you did it in your case. I'm not saying what you did was wrong, but People don't know that there is an option for a termination date agreement where you can agree to cut off the length of your marriage, but try to settle, which is what I would circle back to in my conversation earlier about not pursuing the court route, but doing that. If I have the higher earner, I'm telling them, let's do it outside of court, but let's get a termination date agreement. If I have the lower earner, I'm saying, let's see if they ask for one, right? So you just want to talk to an attorney and find out what your rights are. If you think it's possible that you'd be getting divorced and make sure that you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's throughout, but you, you do want to live your marriage in a realistic way, in a way that you don't seem like you're faking it. I mean, the thing with always recording and people who ask me to record therapy sessions is the ability for the other person to say like, well, you weren't even being yourself. Like you knew you had the benefit to know this was recording. Right actually screamed at me a million times. You just didn't do it in this moment. So you want to live genuinely, but, but know your rights. If you're thinking about it, know your rights. It might help sway your decision. And even if it doesn't, I mean, I'm not in the business of breaking up marriages, right? And I had a client come to me recently, a potential client who wasn't sure. And I said, look, like try to work it out. You know, if you think that that's better for you and you, there's hope and, and you want to try to work it out, absolutely try to work it out. But you should know X, Y, and Z to protect yourself in the event I see you back in three years, something yeah. like that. Well, I, I think well, what's very clear is anyone that, get, that gets you, gets you in their life, is going to do very well. Yes, Thank you so much. That's very kind. You've got a, a, a good, such a good energy, but also Thank you're so you. smart. And, uh, uh, and people will be lucky if, if they can afford you or they can get to you. Uh, uh, last a month ago, I did a fundraiser for that domestic violence. They have a facility, but then they're also there. It's ten percent men. There are men that, that you know, and uh, but the women, uh, and this is in the Midwest, they can't afford to get divorced. They can't get their domestic. They can't do, and even when there's obvious abuse, you know, there's a thing called rule of thumb. Have you ever heard that before? Where it, it it's it's still in the in the laws in some states where a man can hit you with something that's that's just not bigger than your thumb. That's crazy. It's crazy. And then you know they get uh, and they got kids and they don't know what to do and and uh, this organization is very helpful. But it's also enlightening for you know people like me that say, I have a lot of complaints, but 
that that's not one of them you know i'm knock on wood yeah i mean practice to... a lot of domestic violence law too and it's really upsetting and it's really crazy especially we have something in new jersey it may be national i'm not sure but partners for women and justice that one of my partners volunteers for i mean those types of organizations are really really important um it's also yeah so the domestic violence stuff is, is part of my job and it's 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 a different it's a different type of part than the joking around about you know, right. some of the knives. Yeah. <laughs> Abuse in general doesn't have to be someone hitting you. No. If they're like, I'm going to take away your kids. I'm going to make you go to jail. Yeah. And ruin your career. In New- like if they overtly are saying that. Absolutely. In New Jersey, we just, the legislature just added coercive control into our domestic violence statute. Awesome. As um, an underlying act that could qualify someone for a restraining order. Um, so absolutely, it does not have to be physical, which is why I say when people come to us and we tell them that they're in an abusive relationship and they don't know because the general public may think like, well, he's never hit, he or she has never hit me or whatever. Um, but no, coercive control, the gaslighting, the constant, you know, that that terrible behavior um, is now actually qualifies for a restraining order. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate what you do. Yoko. Yes, thank, thank you. you. And thank you for giving us time today. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so honored. My sister-in-law who started as my best friend, we were coworkers. I introduced her to my husband's twin brother. They're now married. They have two beautiful children. I have thrown that in her face a million times. She got me on the show. So we're done. Yeah. I thank her so much. And I think it's Allison, right? Alex. Yeah. But that's okay. She'll just be happy that you said her name. Oh my gosh. Thank you for bringing us together. She's married, right? She's married, Tom. Sorry. But they're all the good ones. Yeah, just come sit in my waiting room, you know? I'll, I'll hook you up. I, please, as long as you're willing to go cross country to Jersey. We have a lot of Jersey girls. Yeah. <laughs> but this time you're getting a prenup, and I'm doing it. My firm's doing your next prenup. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for having me. And then what's your Instagram if people want to follow you? Yeah, my Instagram is Lindsay with an A-Y. A Heller, so Lindsay A Heller ESQ. Um, my professional Instagram is being revamped. Please follow me, Lindsay A Heller ESQ on Instagram. And I'm at Roth Rothschild, which is Roth S Child, a national law firm. We do every um, area of the law. I am a partner in the family law department. And yeah, L Heller at foxrothchild.com or find me on the website. You should do more of this, Lizzie, because you're excellent. Anyway, I feel like you'd be great on the news. You guys are making my dream come true. I mean, have me back whenever you want. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk 
forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufie X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 